Well, uh, I'm excited about this series. There's a couple of things I just want to mention as we get rolling. We're going to do about five weeks. I'm going to take the first three. Hayes and Stevens will do one of them. And then our last week, we're going to have Garland Hunt, Bishop Garland Hunt, who's the, the pastor at Father's House Church for, under Wellington Boom. He and I have become dear friends. We've known each other for quite some time. We're friends the last several months. So he's going to come speak to us at, uh, at the end of August. But I would just say this. Um, this issue, and we're talking about uh, racism, racial injustice, racial unity, healing, all these things. This complex issues that there is right now in our society, and definitely one of the most complex issues there is to speak to um, as, a, as a leader, as a pastor, and a, and a teacher, and a preacher. And so uh, I'm asking for grace, because I guarantee you I'm not going to say it just the way you want me to. I promise you I won't. I, I'm going to do my best, and if I say it wrong, just love me. Yeah. Bless his heart, Lord, help him. He doesn't know, just help him. Because yeah. I guarantee you, in the next several weeks, I'm going to say something the way that you don't like. And that right there is where we need to be, wrestling with what it is that offends us and working through those deep places and allowing the Holy Spirit to come into those places and help us, to bring us to a place of unity and to bring us to a place of healing. So uh, I'm asking for grace even tonight, and I would ask you just to open your heart. You know, this issue, it's, it's, it's very emotional. Obviously, we know that. We, we've seen what's happened in our nation over the last month, but it's not just an issue for the last month. We're talking about, you know, centuries-long issue, uh, a centuries-long issue that, that has, you know, caused so much pain and hurt and, and, and just really emotion in and, and so many uh, people's lives. So this thing is, it's really a charged issue. Uh, I'm asking you, rather than, uh, you know, sort of shielding yourself or walling yourself up uh, as we're talking about these things, to open your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Because if we kind of keep this thing at, at arm's length and say, well, I'm fine, I'm, I'm good, you know, I'm good over that, and we don't allow Holy Spirit to investigate us and to speak to us, we're, we're just not going to move forward. But, but you know what? God wants us to move forward together. He wants the church to be an example of love and unity. And we here in the house of prayer, we have a calling from the Lord to be a place of reconciliation, to be a place of racial healing and racial unity. And so I want to I wanna ask you, just as this message, really to allow the Holy Spirit, just open your heart, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Will you do that tonight? Good, good. All right, let's look at the outline. Uh, I'm inviting us to go on a journey together, a conversation that, that we're going to have many more times than just tonight. Uh, you know, the issues surrounding race are not going away in America. They're not, it's not going to just end at some point. Uh, they're not going away. And so we as a spiritual family, we need to be united in, in the love of God, biblically clear, socially aware, 
and prophetic in our words about this issue. What I mean is speaking the heart of God into the issue with real clarity from heaven, not valuing our own perspective. Oh, y'all are going to have to talk back to me more than this. We have to allow heaven to inform us, instruct us, correct us where necessary, and then we need to engage with, with what heaven's perspective is and declare that. And so we're going to work through this together. We're going we're gonna to pray through this. We're going to dialogue, and we're going to act. We're going we're gonna to move this from theoretical ideas and philosophies to actual dialogues, relational connections, and actions that show the power of the kingdom has come in our community. That's where we're going. This isn't going away, and, and we're not going to ignore it. And we're going to see healing in our community here, in our spiritual family. But I believe the Lord wants to make this house a house of healing, not just physically, but in multiple ways, in areas of deliverance and specifically in this area of race. I believe the Lord wants to make this place a place where people can come and get deliverance and get healing over the issue of racial woundedness and prejudice. Come on. I believe that's what he would have for us. So here's the deal. We know that the church at large is called to be a prophetic voice. It's called to be a city you know, set on a hill, a, a light to the world. And, and this is what I think. Whenever you have a topic that where you see the church go silent and, and you don't hear a clear sound from the, from the people of God and, and it gets tense and the church doesn't want to talk about it. Whenever there's a topic like that, know this. It's spiritual warfare. The enemy is trying to silence the prophetic voice that the church is supposed to have in the earth. The church is called to be salt and light, moral compass to a nation. And we are called to be a light that shines truth to people that don't know truth. And when the church clams up, that is a, that's a clear sign that the enemy... Is trying to silence the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus from the church. Now, I'll just tell you my story a little bit, my, my own testimony. You know, I, I came from a, a church where one of our four foundational pillars was racial reconciliation. This is a conversation I've been in at some level for 25 years. I've spent uh, over the last month more time studying it probably than I have in the last 25 years combined. I've thrown myself into this because I'm trying to hear the heart of heaven. And I've heard so many voices of so many people from so many different spheres in the church, out of the church, so many perspectives. But, but here's, what, here's what happened with me. You know, we, we were going hard uh, at Victory World Church where I came from. We were going hard on racial reconciliation. That church today, I mean, hundreds of nations... I mean, every kind of, you know, people from all over the world, black, white, everything, Latino, uh, Asian, I mean, just so many different cultures. And, and when I transitioned from there, and, and I went to Kansas City uh, to, to learn how to do House of Prayer, uh, you know, I showed up in Kansas City, and, 
and everybody was white. I mean, just almost. And I came from a church that was just, I mean, just multicultural. It was the, it was the expression. It, I mean, any Sunday, you just look in, in worship, you're like, man, this is what heaven's going to be like. Yeah. Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And I, and I show up in Kansas City, and it's mostly white. And, uh, and then when we started back here in Atlanta, <clears throat> here we are in, I mean, Atlanta's a melting pot. Gwinnett County's a melting pot of nationalities. It's, it's one of the, the beacons of the civil rights movement from, from the 60s. And when we show back up and we start doing House of Prayer, virtually everybody that shows up is white. And, and for me personally, I just went, I mean, in my own heart, I just went, just say it plain. We need some more flavor up in here. We need some more flavor. And, and what I realized, though, is there's a certain thing about how the Lord, you have to trust him to build the house. And we were calling people to be night and day prayer missionaries. And it's like, man, anybody that would show up and say that they wanted to do it, I, had, I, mean, I pretty much had to take them. Can you breathe and say, Jesus, you're in. And so I, we weren't discriminating. But what we found was initially we were drawing almost all white people, and I just, it just became a, a prayer of my heart. Well, I'll just say this. I decided that I would let my actions speak louder than words, and I would show what it's like to, to, to embrace people from all cultures, even when you know, we didn't even have that much of a mixture. And, and then when there would be issues that would show up in the public, like, like say last year when when there was the shooting in South Carolina and, and you know, a, a dozen plus people were gunned down by, by a, a, you know, in a, in an African-American church by a white guy, you know, we would pray into that and we would make a statement, but we didn't explicitly ever speak. And I would just say this to you. Over the last month, I really felt instructed by the Lord that he said, actions do speak louder than words, but you got to speak, son. And so that's where we're at today, because if we don't speak, if we're not a prophetic voice, it's unclear where we stand. And the messaging is ambiguous. And so, uh, you know, I found this, that when I transitioned, um, you know, from, from that environment, we had, I had so many friends from so many different cultures. I mean, just, just every kind of nationality and background and then I transition out of that, and then I'm surrounded with, you know, basically one culture. And, and, and what I found was this. I could have conversations back in that environment that all of a sudden, in the new environments, I couldn't have those conversations anymore because there wasn't a depth of trust built. And I, I'll just tell a story on myself a little bit. I remember my son was maybe he's like seven or eight. I think he's 10, 10. And, uh, and we were there at a football practice. And I was with a bunch of parents, and there had been, I don't know, there had been something that had happened in the public eye, some kind of racial injustice, and, and there were several African-American parents there, and they were talking about it, and, and, I, and I was listening, and I, and I began to interject in the conversation, and, and finally I said something like, man, yeah, we just got a da-da-da-da-da, and y'all know where I'm going with this, don't you? <laughs> One of the guys looked at me and said, we? Who's we? And I, I, us, we, we got, he goes, no, 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 no. You need to, you know, and he basically told me I need to check myself. And, um, 
And I realized, oh, oh, I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not in a reconciled church. I am in the world, and my history doesn't give me any kind of license in new environments. And there's a whole, uh, you know, <laughs> there's a whole uphill sort of battle to engage multiple places in society to bring reconciliation. So I understand how the issues can be difficult. I understand how they can be emotional. I understand what it's like to be in a reconciled environment, and I understand what it's like to bring an environment into reconciliation and healing. Well, I'm just going to say this. We're going to be a reconciled environment. We're going to be a united environment. We're going to be a house that is united across cultural lines, racial lines. The house of prayer is a house of prayer for all nations. And I believe that God wants us to be a place of healing and racial reconciliation in our city and a light to other environments because it's going to get crazy out there, guys. And they need to be able to look at the church and say, wow, they're, they're not crazy. They're not killing each other in there. They're loving each other. What's going on with them? And so we're going on a journey in that direction. Uh, we're going to speak right into this issue. We're not going to be silent. We're going to pray right into it. We're not going to back down. We're going to go right after it. We're going to get real clear. And we're going to take a stand, and we're going to shift this thing. We're going to see a shift, not only in our community, but in this city. We're going to see a shift. I just declare that in Jesus' name. We're going to see a shift and we're going to forgive, and we're going to heal, and we're going to love, and we're going to be united, and it's going to be a testimony of the kingdom come. That's what's going to happen. Now, um, I will tell you, we as a spiritual family, uh, we have a clear calling from the Lord to be what I'm describing, to be a reconciled place, to be a place of unity and healing. And let me, let me explain to you how I know that. Uh, it was 2003. Some of you guys know this story. 2003, I was in a place of prayer, and I was asking the Lord about the city of Atlanta. I was saying, what are the key issues in the spirit in Atlanta that we have to see overcome by the power of God? And the Lord gave me an inner vision. I saw a really clear picture in my mind, and I saw this R and this R with an X. And the Lord said, it's racism and religion that empowers the spirit of death over the city of Atlanta. And at that time, the FBI had just come out with statistics for homicides, and uh, Atlanta ranked at the very top per capita for homicides uh, in the nation. Spirit of death. And the Lord showed me that. Racism and religion. He said those two principalities have to fall, and then the spirit of death will fall and the kingdom will come in power in the city. I remember seeing that in my heart. I said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I, you know, I don't know if you ever have this experience, but sometimes when you're in a place of prayer, and you're like, oh, that's God, that's God. And like you get up out of there, and like three minutes later, you're like, was that God? Yeah. <laughs> I think, I, I, it, was it? Was it R and R? Was it like N and N? I can't, you know. <laughs> and, and so there I am, and I'm in, I'm in the car now, and I'm going, getting ready to go speak somewhere, and, uh, and I just, I kind of just lay my head, we're just praying before this meeting, going to, I just lay my head back, and I go, God, I go, could you, could you say that to me again? Would you just confirm that to me? 
give it to me anyway, just confirm it, uh, just so I don't, you know, so I know that that was you, and, and I, it's, I know for sure it wasn't pizza or something that I had last night. Like, could you just make it real to me? So I, I literally, I pray that prayer, and this is what happens. I open my eyes, and the first thing I see is a sign, because we're getting ready to cross a railroad, and there it is, R and R with an X. The very first thing my eyes set on is a picture of exactly what I saw in my mind's eye, the R and the R. And I knew in my heart the Lord was speaking to me, and I knew that it was going to be a, a, a key thing that God wanted us to do in the house of prayer, to dethrone racism over the, over the city of Atlanta, racism and religion. Well, you don't just say that. You don't just come out, we're going we're gonna to take racism down. So we made it a point of prayer, and we continued to lean into it. God's given us more and more traction over the years. Well, in 2011, Lou Engel was here, and, and we respect Lou as a father in the spirit and, and uh, as a prophetic voice to us. In the beginning of 2011, he, he's here, and he prophetically challenges us to pray for uh, the African-American community, specifically for revival in the African-American community, and specifically for messengers, preachers, and, and teachers, and singers, and musicians, and artists to be raised up from the African-American community who would be prophetic messengers in the earth at the end of the age. And he said, we're going to go to Detroit, and we're going to do a 24-hour uh, solemn assembly unto that end in, in Detroit on uh, November 11th, 2011. So we agreed, and we said, yes, that's, that's for us. And we took up a, a, a burden uh, that we believe is from the Lord in intercession, where we literally prayed in our night watch. They literally play, prayed virtually every single night for revival in the African-American community, specifically for the call Detroit, that it would spark something that would sweep the nation. So you guys remember David who shared last week, right? The missionary, how many heard him share last week? David's one of our missionaries. He's in Kenya now. Uh, so <laughs> this is awesome. We pray into it. We carry that burden. We felt marked by the Lord that that was part of our redemptive calling. And a couple of years later, we meet this, this young guy, David, who's on fire for Jesus. I said, hey, tell us your story. He goes, well, I was homeless, and I was in Detroit, and it was 2011. And I saw this big thing happening there at, at, the, at the dome, and, and I decided to, to go in, and I heard the gospel preached for the very first time, and I got born again. <laughs> he ends up somehow, I don't know how this works, he ends up here in our training program, in our missions environment, and now he is a messenger with the gospel to the unreached people groups in Kenya. And I just felt like, I felt like his testimony is like a first fruits of the harvest that we're going to see for... I mean, there's young men and women out there that they don't know the Lord, but God knows them, and he has a plan for them, 
and he's going to bring them out of, I mean, dire environments, dire straits. He's going to get them saved, fill them with their spirit, and he's going to send them out to the nations burning with the gospel of Jesus. And so when I see David, I go, man, if the 10 months were just for him, it was worth it. But I know that that's not how it goes. I know there's an entire harvest coming from the African-American community of revivalists thrust forth into the earth as prophetic messengers at the end of the age. Amen. And I know that's who we are as a community, that we have a part to play in dethroning historic racism in our city. We have a part to play and pray and seeing revival break forth in the African-American community. I know that's who we are. You know, Atlanta has a rich history and civil rights, but it also has a horrifying history and racism. Stone Mountain is the place of rebirth for the Ku Klux Klan. It, it had gone in almost non-existence for, for really for decades. And then there's this thing that happens in like 1915 where they have this, this it was a church service actually. It, it was a, a church service where you have a Methodist Episcopalian minister and he gets a group of about 10 folks and they go up on Stone Mountain, they burn a cross to, re, to rebirth the Ku Klux Klan. So here we are in, in this city of contra- contrast and conflict in the spirit over this racial issue. And God has just seen to it to put a night and day prayer reality right there in the middle of it. You know, he bursts one in Kansas City. It goes 24-7. And then the very next one he births is right here somehow. And I have to know this. I have to believe this. That it's because he's being strategic in the way that he wants to dismantle strongholds and principalities that have held our nation for, for centuries. And so he's put us here, I think, with a prophetic calling. So, uh, as I said, when the church is silent... That's a sign of spiritual warfare. Well, for me, here's the deal. When I feel that spiritual kind of gag order come on me, that's when I get a little riled up. That's when I want to speak. Because I'm, I'm just that way. If you tell me I can't, I'm going to do it. If you tell me be quiet, I'm going to say, what, what, why, huh? And when I feel that thing in the spirit trying to shut me up, I know that's not the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes he says, now, boy, just be quiet. And that's different when the Holy Spirit corrects you and tells you, you just need to wait, be slow to speak. But there's another thing when you say something about a topic and the air goes out of the room. And everybody's like, oh, I don't know what he's talking about. I'm just trying to ignore it. We're not going to do that anymore. We're going to speak prophetically into it. We're not going to be silent. We're going after this thing. Look at this quote I've got here in your outline. From Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it's under E on page one. Many people know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but if you don't know him, he was a pastor in Nazi Germany and a leader of what they called the Confessing Church. See, in Nazi Germany, things got so bad in the church that in many churches, they removed the crosses and put in swastikas. In many places, they removed the Bible and they put in Mein Kampf. They put in Hitler's biography. 
people don't understand that the church stayed silent. By and large, it stayed silent in Nazi Germany while Jews were being, I mean, abused, arrested, and slaughtered literally by the millions. Well, Bonhoeffer, in the middle of all of that, he says, no, this is wrong. This is injustice. This is demonic. And he speaks out. And he stays confessing the lordship of Jesus. He ends up being arrested. He was leading a community that wouldn't bend and it wouldn't bow to Nazism. Powerful testimony. They were based in prayer and Sermon on the Mount lifestyles and in true love. (laughs) Bonhoeffer's testimony is like one of those that just makes, it just challenges me because three weeks before Hitler commits suicide when the war was all but over, Hitler gives the the order. He says, execute Bonhoeffer. It's just something about when the Antichrist figure calls for your execution when he knows you're one of the key reasons that his regime has come down. Three weeks before Hitler kills himself, he goes, execute Bonhoeffer. It was Bonhoeffer's stand and their prayers and their, their you know, unwillingness to back down in the face of all that hatred and, and demonic you know, mentality that helped turn the tide, I believe, in the spirit. Well, look what Bonhoeffer said. He says, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And I I tell you, we in the church have to be instructed by this. Because some of us would prefer to sort of just ignore these these issues that are blowing up in society and, and, and the social ripple effect of, of racial you know, issues and racial injustice. But I would just say in the church, we don't have that luxury. We don't have that luxury. We are to engage issues as they appear in any level of injustice. We are to engage them with the heart of heaven to see injustice thwarted in the earth. You can give me a better amen right there. Injustice is the opposite of the throne of God wherever it exists. Whether it's racism, whether it's human trafficking, whether it's abortion, whatever, poverty, whatever the issue is that's injustice, it goes against the very nature and knowledge of God. So in the church, we should be the forerunners engaging these issues with prayer, proclamation, and action. That's the stance the church has to take. Now, here's the deal. As I've, I'm just giving you introductory thoughts, and really tonight, I'm just setting the table. We're going to get much deeper in the days ahead, but I'm going to set a foundation for us that we can, we can spring from. But as I've gone into this thing and just really made it a point of study and just, like I said, just reading everything from far-left liberals to far-right conservatives, ideologues everywhere, from people in the church to atheists, I mean, people all over the social spectrum. Here's what I realized. There's nobody that has 100% of the truth. Nobody. 
Not one individual has 100% of it right. We need each other to get truth. One person brings a little bit, another person brings a little bit, another person brings a little bit, and then together by the Holy Spirit, we get the testimony of truth. And, and, and beloved, that's, that's just reality. Now, here's the thing. If you're white and all you ever talk to about racial issues are white people, or if you're black and all you ever talk to about racial issues are black people, you're going to have some truth and you're going to have it from a certain perspective, but you're not going to have all the perspective. And all the perspective isn't primarily a horizontal perspective. There is a vertical perspective that needs to inform all of our horizontal perspectives. And so I want to say strongly in this, we need one another and we need the Holy Spirit. If we're going to get truth, we have to talk together about it. And if that makes you feel uncomfortable, good. Good. Because we got to get out of our comfort zones to get to truth. I've taught this before, but truth is really uncomfortable. Truth is not, it's not the most casual, comfy friend. I like to use the example of an alarm clock that wakes you up at 5 a.m. If you got to get up at 5 a.m., the alarm clock goes off. The last thing you want to hear is that, ah, ah, ah. I can't be. I can't be. I got to sleep some more. Snooze that thing. I got to go back to bed. No, no, no. The alarm clock is telling you the truth. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. You can deny the truth. You can put the pillow over your ear. You can act like it's not real, but it's time to get up. Truth is not always the most friendly, but truth is the only thing that sets us free. It's the only thing that sets us free. And we don't get truth by only our perspective. Our perspective is not the beacon of truth. Jesus Christ is. And the church together, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation is the foundation of truth when we declare the word of the Lord. So in the church, together, we must have the Holy Spirit. We must have one another so that we can lock ourselves and and commit ourselves to truth. Amen. Last thing, an introduction. (laughs) Somebody said, well, we got to get out of here early. No, you're not. I am more convinced than ever the gospel of Jesus Christ The power of the blood of Jesus is the answer to what we're seeing in racial problems and injustice and and pain throughout our nation. The gospel has the power to not just change a heart, but to change a nation. And I'm more convinced than ever that heaven's testimony is that we are going to see a breakthrough of the gospel and we're going to see a a unity and a unique way that the earth has never seen before. Because from God's perspective, the end of the story isn't people killing one another in the street. That's not his perspective. The, The end of the story isn't injustice going unaddressed. 
The end of the story from the Lord's perspective is every tribe, tongue, people, and nation worshiping together in perfect love and in perfect unity before the throne. That's where this thing is going. And so the testimony of the gospel is this, that he can and he will make all the wrong things right. The power of hate is not more powerful than the power of the blood of Jesus. It's not, beloved. Lift your eyes up. Look to Jesus. Look at Jesus. Because when we look to him, the Bible says this, our faces become radiant and we're never put to shame. And that's the most informed perspective. This is, we are not doomed to a, 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 a racial division, racial disunity that ends up where we slaughter one another. That's, that's just a false testimony. And I know Fox News and MSNBC and CNN and whoever all the other media networks are would love to have you believe that. You know why they want to do that? Because they make money off of it. Making money. So if they make it scary and crazy and show the video 1,800 times and people keep tuning in and it fuels that fear and more violence happens, more viewership, come on. I'm tired of being pulled around by the, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, like a hook in my jaw by what the media wants me to be compelled with. I want to be compelled by the Holy Spirit. So, I'm more convinced than ever that the power of the gospel is the answer. And as I read people from all over the spectrum, they all come to this. It's interesting. This one guy will say, here's our four things. And then the other guy writes a whole article about why his four things are dumb and they won't work. And the real four things are this. And then the other guy hits him. And the ideologues are sitting there all arguing back and forth in their blogs and their books. And you know what? It ends up sounding like Solomon. Where he just goes, you know, I just, everything's vanity. It's all vanity. And what was the problem with Solomon? He had worldly wisdom, and he couldn't see the one who was wisdom. He couldn't see Jesus. He couldn't see the finality of the gospel. And beloved, the gospel has the answer for every person on every side of this issue. Hello, not just then, but right now. That's the gospel. The gospel addresses issues now and fully then, but it really does address issues now. All right. Look at this quote, this Martin Luther King quote. I, man, if you haven't read Dr. King, you need to. If you, haven't, if you haven't watched his speeches, you must. Sometimes my family will just, we'll pull up a Dr. King speech and just watch it around the dinner table. Somebody said of Dr. King, he was a once in a 500 to 1,000 year kind of leader. Can you imagine? And some people, get, they get all hung up. They go, well, he didn't have everything right, but he had a lot right, beloved. And the Lord used him as a voice for justice in our nation. And you can look at civil rights before Dr. King and after, and that thing flipped because the Lord used that guy as a sledgehammer to shift things in, in our society. And I look at Dr. King, and I look at the, 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 uh, the things he said, and man, I just, I just feel the Holy Spirit on so much of it. 
I'm not saying he got everything right. Look, nobody gets everything right. But man, he got a lot right. Look at this quote. Power of the gospel. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. The gospel is our answer. The power of the gospel to transform not just a heart, but an entire society. That's our answer. Dr. King's stuff was so good, I was going to sort of plagiarize it. And I thought, yeah, that just won't work. Can you imagine if I showed up? I have a dream. They're like, um, that's really wrong right there. I wouldn't do that. But it's so good. You could literally take his speeches, preach them verbatim, and they would speak right into the core of where we are today. It's, I mean, timeless messages, I think, from the heart of heaven. All right. Look at uh, Roman numeral two. And here's what I want to give us. I want to give us some governing biblical principles so that we can then begin to speak more definitively about specific social issues. But we've got to get our foundation straight so we're not coming at this topic from our own perspectives and our own preferences. All right. A, righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. He says he loves righteousness and justice. Now, here's the thing. When we think about righteousness and justice, this is the way I kind of I do it. I go, okay, righteousness is God's holiness and God's truth imparted to a person, and it changes the heart. You, you were unrighteousness, but now you're righteousness in the Lord. He imparts and he imputes righteousness to you, so now you have the power to choose righteousness over unrighteousness, whereas before, outside of Jesus, you couldn't. Sin had you bound, but the power of righteousness by the blood of Jesus broke that bondage. Righteousness is his holiness and his truth changing us from the inside. Justice. Justice is the expression of righteousness in a horizontal way, addressing the issues in society. We like to say it this way. Justice is making all the wrong things right. But, but to, to take it from this place where I'm talking about righteousness, when we have holiness and we have truth internally that expresses itself outwardly, that's when justice is served in a society. When holiness and truth reigns is when justice is rolling down like a mighty river. So righteousness is Filling us with holiness and truth, justice is when holiness and truth goes out from us, is manifest through us. The church worships God and his righteousness and his justice are manifest through us as a people. The holiness that has a holy life that has an expression in our world. It wouldn't be enough if you philosophically agreed with the truth of holiness and God's truth if it didn't manifest. Do you see what I'm saying? Righteousness and justice go together. So there's this vertical component and this horizontal component, 
and they are supposed to work together. And I'm going to emphasize this several times in our next few minutes, but the power of the gospel is not merely a horizontal power. It's a horizontal power that has, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a vertical power. I'm saying horizontal. It's a vertical power that has horizontal implications. It's loving God until love transforms you and you love your neighbor. That's the gospel. So it transforms a person who's selfish, self-focused, self-preferred into somebody who's pouring their life out and giving their life for others. That vertical relationship that compels us in a horizontal way. And so the gospel is this expression of righteousness and justice, not just individually, but societally. We can't do one without the other. All right, B, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against demon powers, principalities, hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Listen, wherever we see injustice, there's demonic power behind that. Here's what I want to encourage you. Don't, don't be deceived by the matador. What does that mean? You ever seen a bullfight? You got the matador. He's out there and he's waving a red flag or a cape. And here's this bull. And that bull, he's got giant horns. He weighs a couple thousand pounds. He's running 30, 40 miles an hour. But what's the matador do? He waves the cape out in front of the bull, and the bull goes running right by the matador. And as he runs by, the matador takes a sword and drives it into the bull. And he keeps provoking the bull over and over and over, and he drives swords into him when the bull runs past, over and over and over until that bull finally dies. This issue and all the issues of injustice, but this one particularly, I think, in America, Satan appears like a matador, y'all. And he waves each other in front of us. Now, if you're Asian or you're Latino in this, in this room, just bear with me because I'm specifically speaking into what's been touching our nation in recent days and, and really historically, but specifically between whites and blacks. Just give me some room there. But here's what happens. He is like a matador, and he shows up, and he says to the white people, all oh, those black people are this, that, and the other. And what happens? The bull comes charging, and he sticks the sword right in. And then he says to the black people, all those white people are this, that, and the other. And the bull comes straight, and he sticks that sword right in. And while we're thinking we're fighting each other, we don't realize there's a demonic power behind that spirit of racism that's killing us. It's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And while we take aim at the red flag, if we would just, I mean, just adjust it, and realize there's someone behind all these accusations and go after the demon that's driving this, we would see breakthrough, we would see healing, we'd see unity. Guys, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. This isn't about flesh and blood. This is about demons who hate us and want us to destroy one another. Why? Because God 
has a bride for his son from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That is our redemptive prophetic destiny. Don't be deceived by the matador. This thing is not about flesh and blood. This thing is about principalities and powers that are trying to deceive us and cause us to manifest hatred and death. We're going to overcome this. We're going to address it from a spiritual standpoint first. We're going to pray. We're going to dialogue. And we're going to act. And when you pray and you understand and you act together in unity, that is when the kingdom comes in a people. That's when a kingdom comes. And that's what we're going to see. All right, see. This is... This is so important we understand this. The Bible is clear. When Jesus gave us signs of the end of the age and the nearness of his return, he said specifically, nations would rise against nations. Now that Greek word is ethnos. It literally means people groups and cultures. Don't think it's strange when we see racial conflict in the earth. Guys, We've been preaching this for a decade that we know that racial conflict is going to rise in the earth because Jesus made it clear that it's one of the signs that's going to happen in unrighteousness and wickedness prior to his coming. In the world, it's going to get crazy. But in the church, because he's overcome the world, so can we. And when there's hysteria in the earth, the church is united in love. Jesus' admonition was, see to it, two things, you're not deceived, and see to it, you're not troubled, you're not gripped with fear. I go, Jesus, that's easy to say when, you know, when you're just saying it, but all these things, they are very fearsome, fearful kind of things. And the point is, we have to be so into his heart so into the knowledge of him, so aware of the way he's leading, and so clear on where this thing is going, that we have complete in love. And we have to work through our issues so that we can stand united, so that we can stand forcefully united in the face of the conflict that's coming. Guys, more stuff is going to happen. More stuff is coming. I'm not even prophetic. The Bible says it. I'm not even being prophetic. The Bible says it. Nations are going to rise against nations. Guys, there's more videos coming. There are. There There are going to be more injustices that we see. We're going to deal with it on the inside, and we're going to manifest it on the outside. So when the next thing comes, we're not all, you know, freaking out, all fearful, all enraged and angered. We're filled with the love of God and we're declaring truth from the heart of Jesus. That's what the church is supposed to be. I, I, as I said, I'm just, I, I'm just so aware of how we get compelled by like the media and, and, and I don't want to be tricked by them anymore. I want to be compelled by the heart of heaven. And and, and let me just help you. All injustice 
is important to the heart of God. Injustice in this area of racism is a big one in America, and it's important to the heart of God. And if our hearts are beating with the heart of God, it will be important to us even when we don't see videos. It will be important in between the videos. It will be something that we pray into and that we act you know, in opposition towards even when they're not running the replays or getting the ideologues to speak and seed more discord. The church is supposed to be reverberating with heaven's heart and flowing in love and not pulled around by the media. I really, I really feel strongly about that because I feel like I've been duped by the media a uh, time or two, and I don't want to be anymore. I don't want to be anymore, which brings me to D. We're to be compelled by love. We're to be compelled by love, led by the Holy Spirit and guided by truth. That's who the church is supposed to be, compelled by love. We're called to love one another as ourselves. And the household of faith, love for the brethren is to abound. Love is hard work. It requires preferring others above yourself. It requires emptying yourself and humbling yourself. And ultimately, when love takes hold, it will bring you to the cross. I think about, you know, my marriage. We're coming up on... 24 years this year. Come on. And, and when, I'm, when I met her, I just kind of, you know, my mentality was, well, I mean, I loved her. She was fine and, you know, I was, wow, she's awesome and she's gorgeous and she's on fire for Jesus and wow, wow, I'm 22 and you know, it's sweeping me up. And, and I'm sitting there and, I, and I'm thinking, wow, I like how she makes me feel. I like to be around her and, and I like to talk to her and, and I, I love her. But really, all my love for her was based on how she made me feel. So my I love you was really an I love you. And you know how I, I got to find that out? Because after we said, I do, and we got home, and it came time for me to, like, you know, start, like, doing some things to show my love, I was like, man, I don't want to do all this. <laughs> I like things my way. <laughs> Can we just do it my way? And I realized there was a conflict in my soul. And for most people, I love you is really I love me. I know, it made me cry too, baby. For most people, I love you is I love me, I love how it makes me feel, I love how, how things work for me in this relationship. But when you really, when you really get going in love, you know what love does to you? Love defeats you. Love brings you to the end of yourself. Love begin to, it begins to, to cause you to prefer others above yourself. When we see the expression of Jesus Christ and his love, you don't see Jesus just demanding everybody to do it his way. You see Jesus laying himself down in love to serve all of us. I mean, I what is going on with the gospel? It's so offensive. 
Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If you engage with the gospel of Jesus Christ, he will introduce you to love. It will be shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, that love, when it goes unchecked, it will bring you to the end of yourself. And you will love like he does, which will ultimately bring you to this. You will lay yourself down for others. That's what's supposed to compel us. Which is the opposite of what we see in, in, in the world. In the world, we see people clamoring for their own rights, their own preferences, their own ways. And the gospel, it calls us to give all of that away. And just to come out of ourselves and into love. Beloved, that's who we're supposed to be in the household of faith. We're supposed to love one another. And guess what? This is hard work. Love is, it's not a feeling, is it? I don't feel like loving all the time. I, come on, don't look at me like that all holy. You know you don't feel like loving all the time. You feel things, something that's not love. And then you have to choose not to act in the flesh, all up on your preference and your opinion, and allow love to compel you and control you and constrain you. And that's the power of the gospel, that love can actually constrain and control a person who has been fallen, but now they've been redeemed, and now they can actually act in righteousness and in justice and in truth and not according to their own preferences. Love is to control us and compel us here, Love is to control us and compel us out there. Because not only are we supposed to love one another, we're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to do stuff crazy. We're supposed to bless those who curse us. Do good to those who despitefully use us and abuse us. And pray for them. Now, last summer, and we've almost forgotten about this because... This is, again, I'm just, I, I'm, if you're in the media, we love you, bless you. But the news media has got us attuned to keep paying them for crisis. Give us more crisis so we'll tune in, so we'll retweet, so we'll post, so we'll go crazy over this. And, but you know what? Our attention span is about the attention span of a gnat. Because as soon as the 140 characters are in, we're, we need another issue to keep us inflamed. We, f we forgot about the South Carolina shootings. We forgot about that church. <laughs> we forgot about the testimony that they gave to our nation. And that white young man went into that African-American church and he gunned down all those people. But because we don't realize we're getting conditioned in a certain way, we forgot that the children of some of those people that got gunned down, they got on the news. I remember watching this with my own eyes. I remember watching one young lady. 
she lost one of her parents. And they said, what would you say to the killer right now if you could say something? And she looked right in the camera. She goes, I would tell him I love him and I forgive him. And I want him to know the power of Jesus to change his life. I remember, remember that hit me. I went, whoa. But you know what? I, I realized once that testimony started coming out from that church, and the news media was like, give us something else. Give us something else. Because this isn't the message we want to send. We want to send a message of crisis. We want to send a message of division. Because this lovey-dovey thing, that's not paying right now. Beloved, that's going to be the testimony of the church at the end of the age that we love at all costs. We love beyond ourselves. We even love those who hate us. And we bless them and we do good to them. This is real. And I'm gonna tell you I'm bad at it, but I wanna get better at it. But you know what? I mean, really, when somebody does you wrong, the Bible commands us to do good for them. To do good for them. <laughs> when was the last time somebody did you really wrong and you went and bought them lunch? Can I have your order from Starbucks? I'd like to bless you with a coffee. I mean, we, that is so not how we act. We get on Facebook and go, let me tell everybody what happened today. This is what they said and did. Don't ever go there. That place, that guy, he did this. Never. I mean, we don't know what spirit we're of. There's got to be a time when the church looks like Jesus. When we actually do this stuff. I don't want to live in a facade, in a fantasy Christianity that's not the real thing. I want the transforming power of love. I want it to flow out of me in real ways. Love, that's who we're called to be. Not just love in here, but love out there. Love to those that hate us the most. Love that when, when they're crucifying you, you look at them and say, God, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. You can't get there in the flesh, beloved. We're not going to get there in the flesh. Only through the power of Jesus, the gospel. Third, under D, everybody's valuable. Everybody's immeasurably, immeasurably loved by God. Everybody. The value of a person's life is not dependent upon their gender, their race, their religion, or their righteousness. Every person is invaluable and a treasure to God. The worth of anything is dictated by what someone is willing to give for it. The value of a human life is therefore dictated by the value that God assigns to it. And God has sent his son to die for all. Because every person is dearly loved and desired by God. God gave Jesus for each person. Therefore, each person's worth is absolutely immeasurable and that's got to be our compass God's love for people has to be our compass to the, the one that's experiencing an injustice and to the one that's enacting an injustice 
We have to love. That's the call of the church. We have to speak the truth of righteousness and justice and love in every direction. You know, some of the rhetoric that I see that comes out of some of the conservative political movements in America, it blows my mind. Because, yeah, I I believe there's a problem with Islamic terrorism in the earth, but that doesn't give the church the license to hate Muslims. Come on. Jesus loves them. Jesus loves the terrorists. The guy that's doing the beheading, Jesus loves that guy. You don't think so? Ask the Apostle Paul. He was a terrorist. What what are we doing in the church where we're signing up with Fox News more than we're signing up with the promise of the prophetic testimony from heaven? Come on. Jesus loves people in every sector and sphere of society. He loves perpetrators and he loves victims. And the cries of injustice are in his ears. And that's what needs to reverberate in our chest. Four, there's my, I I preached it the whole message tonight for some reason. But media can't be our compass or our trigger. Guys, the next video that drops, don't hop right on Facebook. Just don't. Hop in your prayer closet. Seriously. Seriously, seriously, don't just jump on and start sharing your opinion all riled up because you got triggered by a video. Do you understand the issues of injustice, racial injustice in our nation are 500 years old? Come on, come on. We're we're talking about a current that's been flowing a certain direction for about 500 years. Don't be triggered, that should compel your heart. Don't be triggered by a video. I think when we see the video, we get, you know, the, the pain hits us and it hurts us in, in, a, in, a, in a deep way in that moment. But beloved, this has been going on for a long time. Just because you see something and they roll it again and again and again, they're trying to provoke you. Don't be provoked. Be compelled by the Holy Spirit and led by truth. We don't need any more you know, unscripted rants from believers sharing their opinion. I read that stuff, I go, guys, really? Wait till the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and gives you something. And you know what? He will give you stuff. But we need to be together on this thing. Man, when those videos dropped, I was in Dubai. The first conversation I had was with Garland Hunt. He's an African-American bishop over here in Norcross. He texted me I said, hey, bro, can we talk? And I said, yes, I want to talk to you right now. And I called him from Dubai, and we started dialoguing together and praying together. Why? Because we wanted to come together and hear what the Holy Spirit was saying to our hearts before we went out blasting everything. We can't be that. There's a time to speak, but that time to speak is after you're quick to hear, and being quick to hear is quick to hear from heaven. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Don't allow yourself to be swirled up 
in, a, in the course of this world, especially in social media. We are in a different world right now. Social media, the advent of social media has taken us in all sorts of, there's been positive directions, but all sorts of negative directions. Let's be more wise than that. Let's be wise and harmless and prophetic. I'm not saying don't use social media. I'm saying use it by the Holy Spirit. Didn't get many amens. It's all right. I know. Y'all like, I got to go delete that post right now. Thank you. Love, finally, fifth, love bears one another's burdens. I'll give you an example. I love my wife. If I came home and I could tell she was upset, she's crying, <clears throat> her face, is, countenance has fallen, and I come home from a day here at the house of prayer, and I walk in, I notice that she's upset, but I just say, hey, what's for dinner? Daddy's hungry. What are we eating? That, you think that would go over very well? It probably wouldn't even go over that well if I did that anyway. But she had a smile and said, hey, Daddy's hungry. She'd be like, uh-huh. Try that again. Anyway. But simply... Love causes me to see when she's in pain and to ask, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? What's happening in your heart? Love, it causes us to empathize, not ignore. Here's the thing. If you ignore that makes you ignorant. Love causes us to engage with those that we love and find out what's going on in their heart so we can empathize together because the Bible tells us to bear one another's burdens, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep and mourn with those who weep and mourn. That's not ignoring. Here, here's kind of how we do sometimes. We see somebody we don't like, and rather, so here's what we think. If I don't act badly, I'm staying in love. No, that's not Bible. Bible is you actually deal with the offense, and if it's a brother or sister, you get it right so that you can be in unity together. Ignoring somebody that you don't like isn't love. That's ignorant. Amen. Oh, that's a little strong, but hey, it is. <laughs> I feel strong about that. We can't keep getting by ignoring and acting like everything's okay when we've got people that are hurt. There's real pain going on over these issues. Listen, my brother-in-law, he's a police officer. I feel the pain from that side, and I have dozens of friends who are in real pain because of things that they saw on videos and people getting shot, black and white. We have to engage everywhere 
where there's pain, where there's injustice, we have to come out of ourselves and engage, and we can't ignore. Are you hearing me? I'm going to get more, I'm going to get deeper with this. I'm speaking generalities. I'm going to speak more specifically in the weeks ahead. But I got to lay some of these foundations. Empathy is I feel pain because you feel pain. I feel pain because you feel pain. And I'm going to enter into the emotions with you. And and here's the other thing, y'all. This is why the Facebook thing is such a bad idea. If I walk in my house and my wife's crying, and I go, hey, uh, what's the matter? She goes, I'm just having a bad day. I go, well, here's the thing you need to do. One, two, three. Do that. How's that going to go over, ladies? No, that ain't going to work. You know what we're really bad at? We're really bad at stepping in with people into their pain and just being there. And just mourning. We're bad at that. Because we want everything to be happy, go lucky, and bless me, brother, make me feel better. We don't want to deal with the hard things that love deals with. Love gets in there in the pain and empathizes in the emotions, and you stay in there with them. love. And you don't bring three points to fix the problem. You're married. If you're a young person and you're married, or if you're an old person and you're married, I mean, I I still do it. I mess it all up. But always having an answer for the problem isn't always the answer. It's not always the answer. Just being in there in the emotion of it with somebody is so valuable. Sometimes that's all that my wife and I need for one another. I'm as emotional as anybody, and sometimes I'm just in a a bad place, and I just need her to to just get in there with me. Just get, just, and and she she doesn't have to necessarily even say anything. She just gets in the the, the pain of whatever I'm experiencing with me. It just, it, it can make things better. Somehow, just that empathy in that place of pain, it has a healing property. All right, lastly, and I've hammered this point, but let's just walk it through. Roman numeral three. We're closing now. The power of the gospel is the only answer. Here's the beauty of the gospel. It's a horizontal answer. Let me say it differently. It brings horizontal answers via a vertical solution. So horizontal people to people via a vertical thing from God to people. The problem of racism is answered by the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ and the gospel. But the solution, hear this for me, the solution is only philosophical if it doesn't translate into righteous actions. If God imparting righteousness to me doesn't translate into justice from my heart towards others, we're only in philosophy and theory. We're not in actuality of the power of the gospel. Does that make sense? Vertical speaks to the knowledge of God and personal intimacy. Horizontal speaks of issues of injustice and societal sin. Listen, a gospel that only emphasizes one and not the other is a gospel that is incomplete either way. Sometimes you hear the gospel, and it's only a human-centered justice gospel. 
Sometimes you hear a gospel, and it's only a personal, me and Jesus, just me and Jesus. Well, let me tell you something. When you got born again, you got born again into a body, and it was never just you and Jesus. You were born into a body of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You were born into a body of a myriad of cultures, a, a beautiful mosaic that God intended to express himself through. And I'll get into this more next week, but I will tell you this. If we don't have all the, the myriad cultures and expressions of, of all the people groups, we are incomplete in our knowledge of who he is because he expresses us, he expresses himself through us to one another. That's a huge point. The gospel doesn't only promise eternal answers that have no temporal implications, it offers eternal answers that have massive temporal implications. In other words, Jesus Christ didn't just come and say, y'all all need to get saved. I know y'all are in a rough situation right now, but y'all all need to get saved, so in heaven it will get better eventually. He's, it's not only a futuristic redemption. The redemption and eternal life starts here and now. And, and the manifestation of the gospel is here and now. And, and when we read the scripture, I mean, there are so many times that the Bible, it, it, it urges us to care for the widow, the orphan, the, the, the oppressed, the weak, and, and that where there's injustice, that it's supposed to be dealt with right here and right now by the power of the gospel. It can't just be, it's all going to get better then. There is an application and a manifestation of the power of God that's supposed to transform societies now. And this issue of racial injustice is one of those dominoes that can fall if the church will come together around the power of the gospel. I believe though things are going to get worse in the earth, we can have communities of faith that are flowing in unity and love, that you bring in a person with, with like real intense woundedness or racial hangups, and they can come in the midst of a community like that, and they can just get delivered. Just get set free. Why? Because love is abounding. Love is manifesting. And then when you get a church flowing in that, it begins to impact the culture. It begins to impact the society. And not just legislation, but why not legislation? But more than that, ideology. Where we actually, actually do spiritual warfare that changes ideology. And the prevailing ideologies shift because the manifestation of love and, and, and unity that's coming from the church. First John, look at this. Just ending here. This is what the gospel is about. This is the expression, the way the gospel is supposed to work. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the command we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Vertical and horizontal, that's the gospel in power and in manifestation. Just wrap it up. The issue of racism is a demonic ideology that can only be destroyed by the power of the gospel of Jesus, and there is no sin or injustice too great for the power of of Jesus. Let's end with a Dr. King quote. 
Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Amen and amen. Amen. All right, let's stand. I know that's introductory. I know that. But we need to lay a foundation. I know that's a lot to take in, too. Somebody said, man, you preach like an hour and 15 minutes, and that's just the introduction. Well, here's the thing. We could actually spend the next 50 weeks, and we would not even come close to exhausting all the social implications of, of racism and, and, I mean, just all the myriad, I mean, variegated issues. You have no idea how deep this rabbit hole goes. Some of you do. Some of you are like, well, I thought we'd just get it handled in like a week or two. No, we're going to... We're going to get on a journey together, and we're going to experience love and unity in this house. That's what we're going to do. We're going to keep hammering this thing until our expression of who we are in Jesus is an expression that is united and is, is, just, is you know, that overflow of love that prefers one another across cultural and racial lines. Amen.